Welcome to our brand new series. This series will make you uncomfortable. Everybody loves to, to be comfortable. I love to be comfortable. There's nothing wrong with that. I mean, now listen to me. I, I remember the exact moment when I discovered that I could purchase dress pants that are built of this magical, like, stretchy material. Like, I remember the moment when I discovered I, I could wear basically sweatpants outside the home, outside to functions, kind of like this, and have it be socially acceptable. I, I, love, I love to be comfortable. You love to be comfortable. And there's nothing wrong with that. That's why, listen, that's why Snuggies exist. If you own a Snuggie, I need you right now to own your Snuggie in the comment section below. Just admit it. Some of you are like watching and worshiping right now, and you're wearing your Snuggie. It's freezing cold out there. There's like a million feet of snow outside. It's all right. I get it. Own it. We love, we love to be comfortable. That's why the athleisure industry exists. Let, let's, let's be honest. It's mostly the latter, not the former, right? Emphasis on, on the leisure. There's so many articles out there. There's so many blogs about how like millennials, you know, like me, like we, we love to, to be comfortable, why we can't even, why we love houseplants, why we love our furry pets, because they're, they're comfortable. And listen, I want to tell you, in the pandemic times, we, uh, we made an addition to our family by, by, by purchasing, uh, by picking up a, a furry pet of our own. I'd like to introduce you to him. This is Blitz. We've got a couple of pictures of our rabbit, adorable. We've got, uh, I've got like a thousand of these pictures. We could just do, we could do this all day. I texted my wife, hey, can you send me a, a, a picture uh, of the rabbit? I'm going to introduce church to him on Sunday. And she's like, here's 14 of them. <laughs> He's so comfortable. He'll sit on your lap for hours. You just pet him. It's the softest thing in the world. So comfortable. The only the only thing that's like not super comfortable about him is I like run around the house and <clears throat> I leave like these little, little raisinets behind them. And that, that's not comfortable. That's not comfortable. And so we, we read online there's an operation that we can, we can get for him um, that can maybe, maybe help fix that. And um, we were aghast at the lack of options for general anesthesia. Now keep in mind, this is a rabbit that out in the wild lives on average uh, under a year. And, and so, you know, comparison's sake, he lives a very comfortable life. Uh, but still, comfort, comfort, it's not a bad thing. I love it, you love it, we all love to be comfortable. And I listen, this is, series isn't about knocking comfort. It's just that sometimes, sometimes like long-term comfort pays the cost for short-term comfort of right now. I mean, how much, how much of substance abuse is built on, on trying to avoid emotional discomfort? Uh, how much uh, substance abuse is built on trying to mask, dull, or another way, stunt some kind of physical discomfort? But the comfort's not the problem. Comfort isn't something inherently wrong. But it's also, it's also true, isn't it, that if you were to do an honest evaluation, right? And I'm not asking for volunteers, you know, in the comment section or, or raising your hand or anything else like that. But if you were to do an honest evaluation and assessment of looking at your life in the rear view, it is how many of your deep joys came, how many of your big accomplishments came when everything was just comfortable all of the time. 
If you were to do one of these honest evaluations of, of your life in the rear view, when you gained some kind of a new profound perspective on life, was it, was it always comfortable? When you grew in some way, when you grew emotionally, maybe you grew spiritually, was it, was it comfortable the whole time? I mean, chances are probably not. There's nothing wrong with being comfortable. It's just that if you stay comfortable all the time, like you're going you're gonna to miss out on some of the best, some of the deepest parts of life. And that's what, that's what this series is about. This series is about acknowledging the discomfort in order to grow. That's what the book of James that we're going to study is all about throughout this series. You, you don't open up James to feel better about yourself. You know, you can sit down, you can read through the book of James. It's short. It's five chapters. It's 108 verses. Half of the verses, 54 of the verses are imperatives, are commands. No, no. You don't sit down and read James to feel better, but to get better. You don't read James to feel better, but I'd say to grow deeper. That's what this series, that's what James is all about. So we're going to open it up this morning and we're going to see some things that, that might make us a little uncomfortable, but it's for a purpose. Let's go there right now. Let's get uncomfortable in the book of James and kick it off with just James 1 verse 1, where it says that James, as servants of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes scattered among the nations, and he says, greetings. So we underlined a couple words there. First of all, James, that's the author of the, of the letter, uh, open letter, and it's written by James, who's the, the brother of Jesus. And not like brother and sister in Christ, like we're, like we're all brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, no, no, like the literal younger brother of Jesus, that's James. And he's writing, he says, to the 12 tribes. It's kind of it's a euphemism to writing to, to Jewish people, specifically Jewish believers, from the capital of Jewish thought and people, Jerusalem itself. He's writing this to these, these people gathered, scattered everywhere that they might be. He's, he's, writing, to, he's writing to all of them. And he... He jumps in with his imperatives, with his commands. Do this, don't do that. Right off the bat, in James 1, verse 2, he says, Now consider it, that's the first one, consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Wait a second, wait, wait, wait a second here. James, consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds? James, what went wrong, man? Like, what happened in your life that, that made you so unsensible, that made you so irrational? pure joy and trials. You know, James, James wasn't always the irrational type. Uh, James wasn't always the, the senseless type. In fact, there was a, there was a point in, in James' life where, where he was the most rational and, and sensible person in the family, potentially. Interesting thing about James, he didn't always follow Jesus. In fact, he made it quite clear during the earthly ministry of Jesus, uh, pre-death and resurrection, that, that he was not on board. He was not cool with this. And I kind of get it. Some of you who have siblings, you kind of get it too. One of the best parts about having siblings is having somebody to blame things on when they're not around. 
I get it. I've got two brothers. And so when they're not around and, and somebody, you know, my parents come up to me and like, who, who left all the toothpaste like in the, in the sink in the bathroom? And it doesn't matter that it's like, it's like the all sparkly kind that's, that's mostly sugar and it's the only, it's the only kid in the family is me that, that uses that. And I'm like, I think Brian did it. It wasn't me. It was my brother. And where did he go, right? But when you're James and your older brother is Jesus, I don't think you're getting away with that. When your mom, Mary, comes up and she's like, James, who left the dishes out on the counter? And you're like, it was Jesus, and he took off. And Mary's like, was it James? Did Jesus leave the dishes on the counter and then run away without cleaning up after himself? Was it Jesus, James? He's not getting away with it, you know? And so James kind of grew up in that shadow. And I kind of, I kind of get why he, he's not on board with Jesus' ministry, especially when Jesus says some things or does some things that are, are kind of controversial and they cast like the whole family certain kind of light. You know, there's this, uh, this story where Jesus gets into it with some of the religious leaders, the Pharisees, and Jesus looks at the temple, which took decades, maybe really even centuries to totally finish at that time. And, and Jesus looks over at the temple. It's the center of spiritual and economic life. And Jesus goes, see that temple, tear it down, and see that I will rebuild it in three days. And now this got him in all kinds of hot water. And in response to that, the family issues a statement. In Mark 3, verse 21, it says that when his family, James included, heard about this event, they went to take charge of him, of Jesus, for they said, Jesus, he is out of his mind. Because James is the sensible one. James is the rational one. James looked at his older brother, Jesus, not as the son of God. James looks at him and says, no, no, it, it, it's a simpler explanation than that. The guy's, just, the guy's just out of his mind. That's who he is. A little later on, uh, James uh, 7, verse 3, he got into it again. Jesus' brother said to him, leave Galilee, uh, Jesus, get out of town, uh, go, go away from home, leave Galilee, go to the big city, go to Judea, go to Jerusalem so that your disciples may see the works that you do. Jesus, nobody who wants to become a, a public figure acts in secret. And so since you're doing these great miracles, show yourself to the world for even his own brothers, even James, didn't believe him. And what James didn't get is that Jesus wasn't trying to become this public figure. Jesus wasn't interested in establishing his fame as a leader, but establishing our freedom as the Savior. But that's James. James is the rational one. James is the sensible one. Doesn't follow Jesus. Rejects him during his earthly ministry. But then a weird thing happens. You know, from the historical perspective, this weird thing happens where, where, where James goes from this, like, digging in, I'm not a believer, I'm not in on this thing, James, to later on in his life, he's honored because he's, he's super Jewish and he's steeped in the tradition and the culture and the writings and he's a, he's a spiritual leader in Jerusalem, which is the capital city for the Jewish people. The religious leaders, during Passover, honor James. After the, the death of Jesus and all that, it's a controversial figure, they, he, they honor James by inviting him during Passover to the temple. Not just anywhere in the temple, like the, the top of the temple. It kind of like this, this porch portico kind of thing where he could look up, he could see all the people scattered, and, and they're waiting to hear what James has to say. And religious leaders, the Pharisees, they, they pose the question to James, surprise, in front of everybody. Tell us. Who this brother of yours is? 
And suddenly the, the rational, sensible one, James, looks at the Pharisees and looks down at all the people from on top of the temple, and he says, I know that. Quote, Right now he's sitting at the right hand of God the Father in heaven and he's coming back on the clouds of heaven. Where did that come from, James? And the Pharisees, they hear him say this in front of everybody and they're so riled up and they're so angry, they push him off the temple. He falls to his death below, only he didn't die. He was supposed to, but but injured, he, he struggles. He stands up on his knees, And he starts praying for the people on the top of the temple, using the words of his older brother, the Son of God, Jesus, and says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And as he's praying for his would-be attempted murderers, the people start hurling stones at him, a launderer who uses this like club thing to beat out the dirt and dust from a rug comes and clubs him. One strike, he's done. That's the death of James. Question, what happened to James? What happened to make him go from rational, sensible, denier of Jesus to willing to go to his death, not once, but twice, for that deep conviction that he has that Jesus wasn't just his older brother, but also the Son of God. Answer, he saw what God could do with discomfort. He saw what God could do with a trial, with pain, even with suffering. Let's back it up in James. Let me show you what I'm talking about. James, one more time, chapter 1, verse 2. Uh, consider it pure joy, brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Whenever. It doesn't say that trials, you know, if ever you should face a trial of, of a certain kind. No, whenever of many, of many trials. These trials, they are inevitable. They will happen. Some of them are going to be self-inflicted. Uh, the trial and the discomfort that you will experience when you have to present the big project or the findings to the supervisor on Monday tomorrow and you don't prepare well for it, the fallout of that is going to be, the pain is going to be self-inflicted. Consider it pure joy. Some of these things are going to be self-inflicted. Heads up, Christmas is going to land late December this year. Failing to budget and prepare for that is going to create some discomfort come January 2022. That is going to be self-inflicted. Some of the pain, some of the discomfort is self-inflicted. Some is not. You did not choose to live in a pandemic. You did not choose to live in a time when our country has seen the greatest mass shuttering and shutdown in our generation. You didn't choose that, but you're living in it right now. When you face the discomfort, when you face the trials, consider it, James says, these inevitable trials, pure joy. Okay, we get that trials are inevitable, 
but the trials having a purpose, the pain having a purpose. Listen, uh, James 1, verse 3. Let's hear it again. Because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Perseverance, let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Trials are inevitable. Trials produce something. Trials produce perseverance. Trials grow perseverance. Earlier, you know, we asked that question, like, how does James, how does James go from one to another? How does James move from denier of the ministry of Jesus, just get out of the hometown, go to Jerusalem, go to the capital, you know, go to the people and show them your works, just leave me alone. How does James go from, from rational and sensible to willing to die not once but twice, believing his brother wasn't just his brother but also the Son of God? Answer, he saw what God could do with that trial. There's this famous chapter in the Bible uh, by another guy who denied Jesus during his earthly ministry, uh, Paul. And, and Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, famous, famous passage in the Bible about uh, the, the importance of the resurrection. And it says in verse 3 of chapter 15, For I received, Paul says, what I received I passed on to you. First importance, this is the thing, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried and that he was raised again, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and then he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, we heard about him last week, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, some have fallen asleep at the time of that writing. And then he appeared to James. Jesus, older brother, son of God, shows up to James. I just imagine they have a long conversation. And James, this guy, a spiritual leader already, steeped in the Jewish tradition, the Jewish scriptures, the Old Testament, he knows the stories. It was a phrase he used, he used earlier, mature and complete, not lacking anything. You know, I think those words, like when Jesus shows up in his, in his life, these words, it all started, it, it starts to fit together like, like a lock with a key slipped into it and all the, the pins just fall into place. Standing face to face with his risen brother, the son of God, Jesus, I think it starts to fall into place for James. He's such a Jewish guy and now he's, he's starts to get what Jesus was after the whole time. Like the Jewish sacrificial system that, that he knew so well. It was ingrained into his very bones and in his blood. A dove for some sins. A pigeon for these transgressions. A goat for the trespasses of the family. He knew the system, but suddenly now, seeing Jesus risen from the dead, maybe having it explained to him, James realizes all those sacrifices... We're just a deposit and a pointer towards the once and for all sacrifice of his older brother, Jesus, the Son of God. It was starting to fall into place, not lacking anything. Where, where have we heard those words? Something like a dozen times in the Old and New Testament. James was a guy that knew Psalm 23. He sung Psalm 23. 
James was a guy who knew those words of David. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, I will not lack anything. His people were a people who are known for being in lack, for being in want. His people were known as a people who lacked land. They lacked a temple settling instead for a portable tent. They lacked a king like the other nations have. They lacked a national identity like the other nations had. And now being mature and complete, not lacking anything, he looks back on Psalm 23 and he realizes, no, 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 the Lord, my older brother, the Son of God, is now my shepherd. And he leads me and he restores me and he comforts me through the valley of the shadow, facing the giant head on. I'm lacking nothing. Mature and complete, that's that's what the trials grow. That's what your trials grow. I see some, some people, most people assume nothing grows on the arid, rocky soil of the wilderness. Some things only grow in the arid, rocky wilderness soil. Faith, but, but a certain kind of faith, a faith that is tested, a faith that is trusted, a faith that perseveres only grows in the arid, rocky soil of the wilderness. These trials that you're facing, that you're in, this discomfort, it is inevitable, you know that. But these trials, they also produce perseverance they only are produced here in this season, in this pain, in this discomfort. And if you can turn toward it and not push it away, but if you can accept it as a gift, things are changing. James 1, 3 again. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Testing. Testing is a, is a Greek word. It's used 20-ish times in the New Testament alone. A testing means to, to test or to prove something even through adversity. <laughs> I think of adversity and testing. And I, I just, I'm compelled, I'm compelled to say thank you uh, to those of you, the teachers out there, I'm compelled to say thank you. <laughs> to those of you test administrators and all the work that you go in, thank you. I think this is a group of people that have, that have not received their due uh, notice, applause, uh, for, the, for the insanely difficult work that you've had this past year. And, and continuing, I realize we're not through it yet. Thank you. In fact, if you know a teacher, tag a teacher, shout them out if they're amazing, um, give, them, give them their due applause for the work that, that they've done. I've seen teachers uh, come through these pandemic times now in the, in the past year, and they're like building home on their own dime, in their own time, building plexiglass enclosures around the desk, socially distancing themselves, but also, um, but also custom making, building desks, 
so that it feels more like a learning environment than, than a hospital room. I've seen teachers go to these extraordinary measures teaching first graders online. Shoot, teaching 14th graders online, teaching 14th graders in person, teachers in the basement of a dorm room, teaching college students in a mask, the furthest one 30 feet away getting hoarse from having to shout from the front to the back of the room because of distancing. I mean, teachers, incredible. In addition to all of this, Outside of pandemic times, teachers have to put up with just weird test answers, test questions. I mean, you've seen these sometimes. It's just the most ridiculous answers that, that students have given to some of the test questions that teachers have asked. I brought a few with me. I want, to, I want you to see the first one. Uh, the question here, if you can see it, is what ended in 1896? And the kid just responds with 1895. <laughs> Where's the lie, though? <laughs> right? You know, full credit. I love it. Um, let's go to the next one. Or we've got, briefly, briefly explain hard water. And the kid just writes ice. <laughs> Bonus points for brevity. <laughs> Couldn't have used fewer letters if she or he tried. Uh, last one, let's get one more. The teacher asked to draw a plant cell and identify the important parts. And the kid draws a plant puts it in a jail cell, and writes, important parts here, no windows and iron bars. I love it. I mean, he, he missed the mitochondria, which, as we all know, is the powerhouse of the cell. But besides that, it's like full credit, right? I mean, this is the stuff that teachers have had to put up with in addition, in addition to everything else. And having married a teacher, and my mom, who's a retired teacher, and my mother-in-law, who's a retired teacher, something I have to get off my chest, I guess. Teachers are not a hateful people. They don't give tests to hold students back. They give tests to promote students. Is it good teachers, good, good teachers, will never give a test to their students that they haven't prepared them for. It's the heart of a teacher. It cares. Church, whatever discomfort you're in, whatever pain you're in, the suffering and the trial, your God is a good teacher who cares. You have a God who is a good teacher who has prepared you for this too. You have a God who is a good teacher and the test will be inevitable and will have a purpose to produce a tested and trusted persevering faith that is a gift. You have a God who is a good teacher teacher when you face the trial this week the question isn't whether or not your God is a good teacher but what kind of student are you and I is this test going to serve as your prison stunting your growth 
or your school to teach perseverance into a tested, trusted faith. Could you imagine what it would be like if we settled to live only in comfort all the time? What that would be like. Could you imagine showing up at, at the job interview and you get the job? You've grown enough, you've learned enough to get the job. What you've learned and what you've grown so far is not enough to get you to the 10-year anniversary of that job. What you've known and how you've grown is not enough even to get you to the one-year anniversary of that job. You're not done growing. As long as you're still living, you're still growing. Could you imagine somebody who gets married and high-fives his wife outside the church or the chapel on the way out and said, well, that's done. I'm who I am, and I'm not growing up one more bit. I'm done. You've got to be kidding. You wouldn't settle for that. You wouldn't be with somebody who settled for that. And the people around you won't settle either. Because if you're still living, you're still growing. God is growing you. And this trial and this setback is how he's doing it. He's enrolled you of the school of perseverance. The question isn't whether or not you have a good teacher. But this week, what kind of student will you be? God, you have given us the example of James, the picture of what a transformed life looks like. James, this guy who was a vehement denier of you and refused to believe to willing to give his life, not once, but twice for these deep convictions, Jesus, that you aren't just his older brother, you are the son of God. God, I pray that for somebody out there right now, like James, it all, like a, a key in a lock, the pins fall into place and life just opens up. It makes sense. God, I pray for each one of us as we go into our trials and our setbacks, the pain and discomfort this week, even through this series. God, and I pray that through it all, we stand not in ourselves, but we stand in your love through it all. Jesus.